0: Coming up on today's Lockdown Mavs, we have the book club, Isaac's Book Club, on Thursday launching today. We're talking about Moody Madness. We're talking about the 80s. We're talking about the three J's and everything from Tim Cato's book on 100 things Mavs fans should know and do before they die. Coming up next on Lockdown Mavs. And this is Lockdown Mavs Mavericks are NBA champions. don't believe you shouldn't be here. Welcome to Lockdown Mavs. This is one of your co-hosts, half of Lockdown Mavs, contributor of Mavs.com, Isaac Harris. And today is day one, week one of the book club. This is Isaac's book club launching today on Thursday. If you're following along, if you bought Tim Cato's book, then today we're talking about the first 10 chapters of this book. It's roughly 30 pages, but man, there's a lot of Mavs history stuff locked into this. I see what I did there into these 30 pages of this book. And basically this is, you know, this was the reason behind this of like, Hey, this is the the low point of the off season, the month of August, first part of September. And we're like, how can we incorporate some history? Maybe part of this, uh, uh, of this franchise to this podcast that we hardly ever talk about, uh, the, History of the Mavericks way before, you know, Luca and Dirk. So many of you guys have hopped on to listen to this podcast uh, since Luca has joined the team. And we really never touch about the past uh, too much. Uh, but like now's the time to do that. And we're like, hey, we're looking at ways to do it. And like, let's just do it one day of the week. We look at Tim Cato's book from The Athletic. He has a book out. Uh, he wrote it a handful of years ago called 100 Things Mavericks Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It's super cheap. You can buy it on Amazon, anywhere you want to listen. Here there's a Kindle edition. Uh, But basically, you don't have to follow along and read the book if you want to follow along um, this podcast on Thursdays too. Uh, It's just going to be me uh, this week. I think we might have some guests in the near future uh, talking about some history of the Mavs, um, depending on what comes up in some of these chapters. But anyway, it's a cool thing if you uh, are a diehard Mavericks fan and you like hearing about things that are not current and uh, just some things of the past, then uh, this pod on Thursday pod, it'll be for you. If not, I'm sure you'll let me know in... YouTube comments, which if you're watching right now on YouTube, leave a comment below. You could say comment below. You could say, hey, who's your favorite Maverick of all time besides Dirk Nowitzki? Um, Or maybe just a a moment in history like you're really intrigued of talking about or learning more about because I'm going to talk about a handful of these chapters. But also some things that I've learned from it too, and just in these 30 pages. That's the goal. 30 pages a week, basically. 10 chapters a week. They're short chapters. I love books with short chapters. And um, if I ever write a book one day, when I write a book one day, let me say that. They will be short chapters because that's how I love uh reading. And but anyway. Let's talk about some of this because so the first chapter of this book, I'm just going to read through the first 10 chapters, um, not read the book, don't turn off the pod, um, but read the title of the chapters. And then your instant reaction is going to be like, how in the world is he going to talk about these things in a matter of a 25 to 30 minute pod? I have a way. Okay. Because one of the chapters is the nineties that doesn't deserve more than like 45 seconds. All right. Because the nineties as a whole for the Mavericks, uh, they sucked they didn't make the playoffs all decade. So uh, there you go. There's the 90s. There's one chapter right there. But anyway, these are the titles of the chapter for this week. Dirk Nowitzki means everything. My heart. 2011 was different. Chapter three is Mark Cuban. What a loaded chapter that could be. Chapter four, how the Mavericks came to Dallas. Chapter five, the 1980s. Chapter 6, Moody Madness. 7, The 1990s. 8, The Three Js. Oh, that's a fun one. Uh, chapter 9, Just a Kid from Germany. And Chapter 10 is Steve Nash. So Chapter 1, if you're following along, if you read the book, Chapter 1 you know is about Dirk Nowitzki. And, you know, there's there's not too much at this point that I feel like, I mean, we, you're talking to somebody who's watched so much of Dirk's games and we've done a pod uh, about the Mavericks for five, six straight years now every single day so we're going to talk about uh Dirk uh and we covered Dirk's gosh last years <clears throat> with the Mavs and his last home game and him moving up the scoring list and 30k and all so much fun stuff towards the end of Dirk's career but this first chapter is about what Dirk means to the city of Dallas and when I uh, first shot a message to to Tim uh, Cato about us doing this um or me doing this book club on Thursday. I'm calling it a book club, even though we're not really interacting. Um, he told me, he's like, you know, the first chapter, he texted, he said, one of the first chapters uh, is one of his favorite chapters that he spent a lot of time on. And it's really hard to capture what Dirk means to the city of Dallas and just what he means to the NBA. And this is what what that chapter is about, that you're looking at this like global icon. You're looking at this, um, one of the best People to ever play the game of basketball. And not only that, but you can't say about every, um, there's only a select group of people that've played the game of basketball that you look at and say, you changed the game forever. That you can see the footprints of that player throughout the history of the NBA, like moving forward through the future of the NBA. And Dirk's one of those dudes of what he did at his size uh, in the NBA and through his stretch there, uh, especially at his peak and winning the title in 2011. Um, but there was a few sentences in there that Cato put that, you know, the Mavs have played more seasons with Dirk Nowitzki. This is back in 2000, I guess, 17, that this book came out. The Mavs have played more seasons with Dirk than without, um, that's just wild to think about, about when the, you know, the maps came to be in 1980 and that Dirk had, they had had more seasons with Dirk Nowitzki suiting up for them than, than not. And that just shows you, uh, just what he means to this franchise. And also if you live in Dallas, then you know, the, uh, the championship, the ring, uh, drought that, uh, you've been in. If you're a Rangers fan, a Cowboys fan, bless your soul. Uh, a stars fan. I, and then he put this, you know, he put this um line in there. He's like, since the turn of the century, the Dallas Mavericks are the only sports team to win a title here in Dallas. And that means something that holds a lot of weight, especially uh, for, for Dirk and what he means to the city. So anyway, great, great first chapter by Tim Cato chapter two. I'm going to save 2011 for a future pod because there's a whole set of chapters that's about that series in 2011 uh, for Against the Heat. We always do finals flashbacks and all of that. So such a fun team, the team that will live in infamy forever. We love 2011 team, but I'm going to save all that for another uh, podcast. But chapter three, Mark Cuban. The owner of the Dallas Mavericks, the governor of the Dallas Mavericks. So uh, there's a lot of history stuff with 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 Cuban that you. I would encourage you to uh, look into as far as like how he, he came to own the Mavericks. Right, he buys the uh, he buys the team from Ross Perot. We're going to leave any history with Perot right there. Um, in January 2000, right. So reminder here that I think a lot of people forget sometimes that Dirk came before Mark Cuban. Like Cuban buys the team after they had drafted Dirk, but so he buys the team from Perot, January two thousand, and he's kind of. And what this chapter is about is like he's kind of the first like celebrity owner, and this is what Cato talks about in this chapter that he's like the first owner that's like sitting courtside, that's like wearing team gear, that's arguing with refs, that's cheering, standing up, fist pumping, and like. All of this that he adds like this different element of being an owner in in professional sports back then in the early 2000s in January 2000 that you just didn't see very often. And even like throughout. So I mentioned the refs and I, I bought out this point. I won't do this too often in these pods of these Thursdays leading up to the camp, but had this great quote. This is one of the things I learned. The Dairy Queen story from Mark Cuban. Cato puts this a chapter or in verse, uh, verse, woo, verse <laughs> uh, page 10 in the first two years alone, Mark Cuban racked up more than one, $1 million worth of fines. Once he had, the, <laughs> once he had the steel shot of a missed call put up on the jumbotron as he berated an official. And another time he said he wouldn't let the NBA's head of officiating manage a dairy queen. When Dairy Queen protested, Cuban actually spent a day managing one, showing up at 6 a.m. to begin training and serving ice cream to more than a 1,000 customers who showed up to the carnival-like atmosphere. Though Cuban reigned in his temper somewhat over the years, his fines are over $2 million and counting. Now, this is 2011, uh, I mean 2017, so um, there's been a handful more fines since then. But great, great story, great Dairy Queen story that I didn't know about that... uh, yeah, that he end up, uh, eating his words and like, Hey, you protest this. I shouldn't, you know, however you want to feel about him saying that. And then he goes and works as a manager for a day. Um, it was a lot of fun. Anyway, those are the first three chapters coming up next. Let's talk about the 1980s and how the Mavericks got to Dallas. Because I think if there's one single chapter in this first group that, I learned the most in and that I enjoyed the most was how the Mavericks got to Dallas. But first, this pod is brought to you by betonline.net. There's so many different odds out there, especially going into this NBA season we all saw the Kevin Durant news this week. Where's Durant going to go? What's going to happen in the Nets in the East? So many things to bet on for the NBA. It's the number. It's the fastest and easiest way to check on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at number your number one source of odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league: MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, even golf. Shout out to golf, powering through it. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts they have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we got to do it. We got to talk about my single favorite chapter in this entire first, I mean, it could be my single favorite chapter of this entire book, how the Mavericks got to Dallas. There's so many things about this that i i just want you if there's one chapter that i say go back and read go back and read this it's on page 12 and literally the first sentence of this chapter the Na- dallas mavericks came into existence on a napkin in a diner booth and it's the whole story about how don carter and how how they like how they bought the team how the league came into how the how the Mavericks came into existence really how you know Don Carter wrote a $100,000 check giving him exclusive rights to expand to Dallas you know for an expansion team there's so many things like back and forth about this chapter about how hard it was to get a team to Dallas, how the, how the owners had to, um, you know, basically vote for the Mavericks to come to Dallas and for them to have a team. And then it just didn't, you know, it, it says here on uh, page 13, it says at the 1980 all-star game, two years after Carter and Sanju had started their quest, seven teams voted against Dallas receiving an expansion team. It was enough to block the move. But they they didn't stop from there. And I thought one of the 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 cool things about the story is we we see the old hat, right? The old cowboy hat that's in the Mavericks logo. And we immediately think of Don Card, and he Yes, he first owner, governor of the team, all of that. But the reasoning behind him wanting to he didn't even like grow up a basketball fan. His wife was a basketball player, was the biggest basketball fan. And I, I thought that was really cool hearing about Linda M. Just that um, story says on page 13, Don Carter wasn't exactly a basketball fan. Cato writes, in fact, he had never even attended an NBA game before beginning his fight for a franchise. But the multimillionaire's wife, Linda, grew up playing the sport and she convinced him that Dallas deserved a professional basketball team. And it's like, all right. In Linda, we can think in Linda Carter, we can think uh, for, for the Mavericks uh, being in Dallas. But there's so many things about this chapter, about just them becoming a, um, an expansion team in 1980, them not getting the first overall pick because they changed some rules. So they end up getting the 11th overall pick. Um, in that draft and it's just, there's so many fascinating about fascinating things about it because they're not even technically the first professional basketball team to be in Dallas. As you can read more about in this chapter is a little small uh, section about the, you know, about the other team uh, in Dallas and, um, Ben. I literally could like, there's so many notes I have about this chapter. Uh, It's incredible. So go back, read that because it sets up for them to have the 11th overall pick in the 1980s. Um, And it's, these are the first three picks in Dallas franchise history. You ready for this? Fred, you remember expansion team. All right. The Mavericks first pick in the 1980 NBA draft picking 11th overall instead of first was Kiki Vanderwey. Who refused to play for the Mavericks until he was traded in December? The team's second selection, Roosevelt Bowie, never played a season in the NBA. While their third-round pick, Dave Britton, only played one, and it wasn't with Dallas. Talking about a heck of a first uh, draft for an expansion team. You didn't. You basically didn't get anything out of your uh, draft picks as an expansion team. So. Some of the descriptions from, you know, head coach here, Dick Mata was the first head coach of franchise history. They literally won 15 games overall. You think some of these games or some of these seasons are bad? Try winning 15 games in a season. They get the top overall pick. And then it arguably sets up for the best draft in franchise history. Maybe. I mean, you could maybe talk about Luka, Jalen Brunson, but that next draft. They take Mark Aguirre first, with another top 10 selection. They take Rolando Blackburn with a second round pick. They take Jay Vincent, Jay Vincent, their second round pick end up leading the team in scoring that next season. And it's like, what a heck of a draft. You get Mark Aguirre Rowe, and Jay Vincent in the same draft. That's when they started getting better. Then they eventually drafted Derek Hart, Derek Harper. Shout out to harp. Who's on the broadcast and all like, now you're, now you're having some fun, right? The 1980s Mavericks are some fun, fun teams to look back on. If you're a diehard Mavericks fan, that's probably the only people who listen to this podcast at this point, and then you're like, man, those 80s were a lot of fun to look back on. I wish that we could really do some deep dives of the Harper, Aguirre, Rolando Blackman days, Brad Davis days, Jay Vincent days. Uh, that was their first winning season, and they had their first all-star Mark Aguirre averaged almost 30 points a game like Mark Aguirre is really dang good go back and look at some of his stuff they make the playoffs they made the playoffs for five straight years five straight years in the 80s big deal um that is a big deal I'm not saying like big deal huh sarcasm um other players they get they get Detlef in there they get uh Sam Perkins they get uh, James Donaldson, a, you know, big time rebounder guy. Like you start looking at some of the all time stats for the Mavericks. 1980s were a lot of blast. Uh, Roy Tarpley is in there too. Uh, drafted in 1986. He was man. So dang good. Like, I, I feel like you could almost do a, um, you know, a Tarpley podcast, you know, one day, a whole episode on him about how good he was. But as many of you know, he had a lot of off the court issues and he eventually gets banned in 1995, banned from uh, the NBA uh, because of those issues. But the 1980s, man, there was so much fun and it it sets up for another chapter in here um, because we're going to move past the 90s in the third segment. But it sets up for a chapter on Moody Madness. And this is one of those, man, those days in franchise history. Every franchise I feel like has. You know one, those moments, right? Like you, we always talk about 2011, and we talk about those Lake that Lakers series. We talk about the that OKC series. Uh, talk about the Miami Heat series in the finals, and there's different series that we go back and look on. Even like Dirk against KG, in some of those years, and I, like there's so many of them, right? When you go back and look at Moody Madness, and just everything that that happened. Um, at that game in 1984, literally the first sentence uh, on page 19 of this book says no Mavericks game has stood the test of time quite like the one played in 1984. And, you know, this is when they're they're in the playoffs, right? Like they they're facing the Sonics. It's it's 2-2. The series is tied. They're coming back to Dallas. And guess what, what they can't do? They can't play where they, where they normally play because where they normally play already had reunion already had the, the arena booked out for a world. I got to look at this world tennis event because they didn't think the Mavericks were going to have a shot. Like no one thought the Mavericks would be there. Like what? And now they're going to play a deciding game. Cause they didn't go to game seven back then. They only went to game five, a deciding game at Moody Coliseum at SMU. A game five, basically like a game seven in the playoffs against the Sonics. We're talking about a Sonics team with Gus Williams, Jack Sigma, Tom Chambers. And they go and they face of the Sonics team at Moody Coliseum, SMU, Derek Harper, all the guys. And it's just like this back and forth, this incredible game. It's one of those games you're like, oh, I was at Moody. I was there for Moody Madness. Like I would just like. I would brag about that for the rest of my life. I would just like walk around that all the Mavs fans and arena whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I was, I just put that in like all my bios, like LinkedIn, Twitter, It's like, pff, I was at Moody Mattis. Um, They literally had to measure a three point line to to like paint on the court at Moody Coliseum for the NBA point rate. Like all this stuff is incredible. Mavs are underdog. They go, they end up going into, uh, going to overtime. Rolanda Blackman has this clutch dunk And Chambers, at the buzzer, okay, shoots his half-court shot. He misses the shot. Mavericks go nuts. They celebrate. They go in the locker room. They do this whole thing. And they're like, dude, we beat the Sonics. This is incredible. But what makes it mad? The refs come back and say, hey, we didn't even start the clock. The, The clock didn't even start. They have a 14 minute review. Cato talks about this in this chapter. I'm like, all all the details of it. I was getting refreshed on it because I knew the 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 common story around Moody Madness. And honestly, guys, if if I do like a deep dive on Moody Madness, like a like a whole week of pot or like a big story on it, don't be shocked because I almost I I'm so in. I really want to do this. A 14 minute review happens. They bring everyone back out. Mavericks have to put on their jerseys again and have this one last play and the Sonics miss it again, the Mavericks win again, and it doesn't even matter. And it's just one of those like franchise cornerstone moments for the Mavs that you look back on, you always hear about, and you're like, man, Moody Madness, like that's the the game. So anyway, hearing uh, some of Harper's comments, uh, Derek uh, Harper's comments about it was really cool. Good, good chapter. Like if there's games in this franchise that if you're a diehard Mavericks fan, you got to know about Moody Madness. All right. Coming up next, let's talk about the 1990s just for a second. We got to talk about who everybody wants to talk about. Tony Braxton. All right. I'm back. My voice is about to go out. All right. It's a lot of talking, but I get really passionate about it because I, I really like the history. Um, I love looking back at some of the history of this because so much as we talk about the future. Um, but I think a lot of us are like new maps fans. A lot of you guys are just came on board, uh, you know, when Luca past handful of years and just to hear about some of the past uh, of this Mavs team, because it's like, Hey, yeah, we won our only title in 2011. What about who cares about before that? It's like, no, no, no. Let's look at some of the key moments in history. 1990s um yeah that's it we could move past the 90s Now, realistically uh they don't they didn't hit the playoffs for 10 more years after that right like they, they trade off Rolando Blackman they trade off uh, Derek Harper some injuries and stuff to Aguirre and that run there doesn't last you know into the 90s and I think the last time they made the playoffs was 89 and 90 and uh they go on this uh drought there and you know this next chapter is about the three J's, but Fat <laughs> Fat Lever uh, is on the team. He's a uh, um, I want I don't want to say it, like a key part of the nineties, but you want know, to look at some of his uh, tenure in Dallas. But it gets just to the three J's. Okay, so chapter seven is about the nineties. Also, a reminder: this book isn't in chronological order, so doesn't don't think that hey we're just covering all this stuff right now. There's nothing. It bounces around a little bit, but 1992 and 1993, they have the fourth overall pick in the draft, both years. They take Jim Jackson, they take Jamal Mashburn out of Kentucky. And then that next year with a second overall pick, they take a player by the name of Jason Kidd, who's now the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks. And they form the three J's. Now, this is one of these what ifs, okay? I literally wrote down in in my notes, I'm like, this is a huge what if in Mavs history. Like, what if this core, what if this Trio happen today because on paper, this is incredible. <clears throat> on paper, you're getting this point guard, playmaker, floor general in Jason Kidd that can like run the whole system, right? He can run the whole offense. You get him a second overall pick in the draft, and now you got these wings around him. You have Jim Jackson, you have Jamal Mashburn. It's like, this is it. Like, put this in today's game, and like, you're forming like a big three right now. And it's just crazy to look back on. I was just looking back to some of their seasons, just how much it just didn't work. And I joked about talking about Tony Braxton, but you know, there's the whole rumor. You can go find it yourself. I'm not going to dive into it. Um, uh, about their off the court interest. Um, let's just say their interest in some people off the court if it was a Venn diagram that it would overlap a little bit. I feel like that's the best way I can you know talk about that. but um, there's some you know rumors around that. did that break up these you know these guys um, did that cause the bad chemistry? they just they didn't have the good chemistry even to the point that I mean they rolled through coaches. It, it's wild how not that we needed this reminder again because we've seen this over and over again, super team. I mean, this isn't a super team. I don't want to hype it up that much that this isn't a Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, you know, James Harden type of thing, but they're high draft picks. I mean, they're, you're looking at two, you're going to three top five draft picks over the course of three years. Like you don't even like, I don't know how you would comprehend that right now of three top five draft picks in three straight years and on paper they're a perfect fit and then it just flames out and you don't even make the playoffs like that's just wild to think about and eventually they get a new coach in there and then they just come in and I mean they hired Don Nelson to be the team's new general manager and they just come in and they start cleaning the house they start trading everybody they trade literally all three of them um yeah um just look up the Tony Braxton story there you go that's that's that um Moving on to chapter nine, before we get to verse 10, guys, this is hard for me. I'm saying verse 10, but, um, chapter nine, just a kid from Germany, another Dirk stuff. It's about Dirk's early days. Um, I I'm saving some of this stuff to talk about Dirk and his just all the stuff, the Nike hoops, like there's so much stuff with, with Dirk's early days that it could go on for a whole pod. But for the last part of this, let's talk about Steve Nash. Uh, shout out to Steve Nash in his time in Brooklyn right now. Um, man, I don't even know if that's. Is he looking at this situation in Brooklyn saying, thank God it's coming to an end that if it looks like he's going to stay in his job, they can just have some, uh, like a normal team and it's not, um, there's no drama around it and all of that. But anyway, Steve Nash. The first picture we see is Steve Nash with the Mavericks is draft night, Dirk's draft night, right? They, uh, make the trade, uh, for, um, you know, the pick with Milwaukee, they get you know, Dirk Nowitzki. They also make the trade for Steve Nash. And we see this iconic picture with Dirk Nash, the highlights, the blonde hair, the o- old jerseys. It's a picture that we'll always remember, uh, with the Mavericks. And it's these early days. You have Steve Nash, he's in Phoenix. He'd been in Phoenix for a few years. He stuck behind Jason Kidd, He stuck behind Kevin Johnson and Phoenix. They liked him. It's just, he was stuck behind these really good other point guards. So Dallas swoops in, they make the trade for him and he instantly becomes, you know, one of Dirk's best friends, right? Like he is, you know, that we, we've heard all the stories about them kind of growing up a little bit together in Dallas and the late night workouts uh, at the practice facility. Um, the late night, uh, non-workouts in uptown, Um, I guess workouts in uh, different ways, but um, just their bond together. I think it was really cool to see about the early days uh, in Dallas and that that lasted for six seasons and it leads into that. The first like heartbreak frustrating story of, you know, if you want to talk about for a lot of us of like Cuban lets him walk, right? Like, you know, he makes a couple all-star teams, but you know Cuban has been very vocal about this that this was the biggest regret for him throughout the years about running this team was letting Steve Nash walk and they looked at it and they said you know hey there were some health concerns um, you know Cato talks about in this chapter just the shock around the team even going to practice i think he had some quotes from jeff skin wade um sarah melton who used to work for pr for the Mavs, um and just just the shock around the team that you know nash was so vital to this franchise he was so close with Dirk that going to his offseason he was going to be a free agent and then i think it was day one he signs with the Suns, and it's like wow he's just gone and you know there was a chance for Dallas to match it. There was a chance for Cuban to match it. And he chose not to. And that's one of the biggest regrets, you know, he said because he didn't match that offer. Nash obviously goes to Phoenix. He wins two MVPs. He never makes a, you know, he never wins a ring. He never makes the finals and all of that, but he does win two MVPs and he is really good. And it is, it's one of, if not the biggest, what if in franchise history of what if Steve Nash stayed in Dallas with him and Dirk, have a ring or rings plural um, Would Steve Nash hit his peak Steve Nash uh, playing in Dallas I, I think he would um, what would it be like for Dirk having Nash all those years I there's so many what-ifs to that um, is there a weird similarity about seeing Dirk and Nash on Dirk's uh, draft night and seeing Dirk and Nash together holding up their jerseys and looking how young they are and then you look over and you see Luca and Brunson on their draft night and how young they were, and uh, just the similarities between those two situations, even the same number, Brunson, Steve Nash. We've seen that a lot. But anyway, not to uh, end the pod on a uh, bad note. Those are the first ten chapters of this book. I realize this podcast format is not for everybody. A book club, if you're reading the first ten chapters and you look at through the the '80s and moody madness, and if you're like, "Hey, I'm just a Luca fan. I don't give a crap about." the history of this franchise, then this pod isn't the Thursdays isn't for you possibly, but we do talk about some things coming up. Uh, some other chapters coming up. This next section is chapters 11 through 20. These are some subjects that we could be looking at or could, uh, 2006 finals. Whew, let's talk about, uh, Dwayne Wade. Shout out to, uh, I'll probably tell my Wade story on that podcast. When I asked Wade, um, in the Cleveland Cavaliers locker room because he played for the Cavs, ask Wade to his face about um, the free throws in 2011. Some other chapters that's coming up on next week's um, Isaac's Book Club on Thursday. Jason Terry, a bittersweet 2007 MVP. A little bit on more on Rolando Blackman, the late 2000s. Shout out to the chapter on Rick Carlisle we might skip. Uh, just kidding, we won't at all. Um, yeah, early 2000s, man, it should be a good one. But anyway, you guys are awesome. Hang in there. We'll see what trades could be on the horizon. Uh, Come back tomorrow for a little game pod action with Nick. And uh, yeah, make sure you like, subscribe, like, subscribe below. And uh, come back next week on next Thursday for Isaac's Book Club Week 2. If you haven't bought the book yet, buy the book. Read the next 10 chapters, 30-ish pages. And we'll be back talking about the Mavericks, as always, every single day. Peace out. Boom.